All right. If you would grab your Bible and turn to Colossians. As I'm getting older, earlier when I was up here, my kids are laughing at me because I'm getting older and I now need to have reading glasses. And so I'm trying to figure out when I need them on and when I need them off. And so bear with me as I work through that this morning. Don't let that distract you uh, from what God has for you. And uh, I thought about changing the time confession to children honor your father, but we already did that one, so I stuck with what we had. All right, Colossians. Uh, Also, children, we will have you come up in a little bit, okay? So hang tight, all right? We'll have you come up in a little bit. In fact, if you look in Colossians uh, chapter 3, towards the end of chapter 3, you'll see in verse 20 it says, children. So when we get there, that's going to be your time to come up when we're preaching and we get to that time. So we'll have you come up in here in just a little bit. All right, our foundation for our message uh, this morning, uh, again, in verses, uh, chapter 3, last week we saw in verses 1 through 4, that because of your position in Jesus Christ, you are to have your mind set on Christ. And then in verses 5 and following, uh, you are to put sin to death. In verses 12 and following, you're to put on godliness in your life. And so this is what Christian maturity is all about. And then it crescendos to verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you. Sing lots. Sing God's word with thankfulness. And 17. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so now starting in verse 18 this morning... We'll be getting commands for various relationships. Now, as you know, relationships can be difficult. And so these commands uh, will take hard work. will take a lot of ongoing, continual effort. They're not something you can just do once and check off your list and move on with life. They will take ongoing work. And so if we met, as we've mentioned previously, you can't do these things well on your own, in your own strength. You need help. This help comes through the Holy Spirit, and so you must keep your mind set on Christ to get that help and to to be where you need to be. For if you have your uh, mind set on the things of the world, this instruction will not make much sense to you. In fact, uh, it, it will be confusing. You'll begin to Reject God. If your mind is set on the things of the world, the way the world thinks, these things will be confusing and you will start to turn away from them. You'll start to turn and reject God more and more. And so we must start with our minds set on Christ, with our thinking about Christ and the things about God and His Word, not on worldly things. And so today we're going to have a series of uh, kind of mini sermonettes as we go. We could do a full message on each of those, uh, but we're not going to do that today. We'll kind of go through it a little bit quickly, as Paul does in the book of Colossians here. And so if you've been around church for a little while, you've heard some of this, much of this before. And so I want you to receive the message this morning with a sense of self-evaluation. How am I doing in these things? And so ask yourself, where could you personally use some growth in these areas? Um, Again, we'll be addressing some specific relationships, and so uh, Paul also kind of, along with each of one of those, we'll look at a specific area of temptation, 
for each of these areas. And uh, they won't all directly apply to you, but you can make some application uh, through God's Word. And so, um, I see, remember that I have PowerPoints. You can back it up. And do you have the clicker handy? Because I forgot about that. So as she's bringing that up, let's pray, and then we'll uh, read our scripture here. Father God, we do thank you for your Word. We thank you for how you work and move in our lives. And we also thank you for the call to holiness. And we know that this is not in and of ourselves, but we need your help. We need your word. We need the Holy Spirit. And so let our minds be set on Christ as we go through this this morning. To your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So we're going to start by reading uh, chapter 3, verse 18 through 4, 6. And then we'll finish it uh, at the end with the the rest of chapter 4. So let's start in chapter 3. Uh, starting in verse 18, it says this, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents and everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And so as we begin here, we're going to be looking at maturing in your private life, in your closest of relationships. Again, we're looking at growing and maturing in our faith, growing and maturing in Christ. So that's where we're going to start with our private lives and our uh, um, uh, relationships. And so the first one here in verse 18 is for wives. So if you're a wife, raise your hand. Okay, if you are uh, hoping to be a wife someday, raise your hand. All right, so this is for all of you, all right? So here we go. With a mindset on Christ, wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Now, our culture views this word submit here as an ugly word, as you know, right? Um, again, that's why we need our mindset on Christ. We have to start there with mindset on Christ in order to see these things rightly. So a wife is to acknowledge the headship or the leadership of the husband as God has designed it to be. She is to respond to his God-given authority. And so the temptation here for a wife is to attempt to rule over her husband. Right? This goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 and consequences that were given out by God as a result of Adam's sin. In Genesis 3.16, God says to the woman, your desire 
shall be contrary to your husband. You're going to be opposed to him. That's going to be the natural state. And so again, contrary to God's design. So we need our mind set on Christ. Wives, submit to your husband. Now submission here also, we have to understand, doesn't indicate inferiority. It doesn't mean that you have less value as a wife. This is simply a matter of role, of position. So a wife is not to usurp her husband's authority. Rather, she is to be the number one assistant to him for God's glory. So it's a wonderful, great role. And we read here that this is fitting in the Lord. It's fitting. This is the way it's supposed to be. It's a good thing. Right? Again, our culture will tell you the opposite. But this is a good thing. This is God's design for you as a wife. And a wife who submits to her husband demonstrates godliness. Godliness of character. And so with the mind set on Christ... Wives, submit to your husbands. So wives, let's give this some personal evaluation. How are you doing in this area? In what ways do you need to grow in submission to your husband and his leadership? Next, verse 19, husbands. So if you're a husband, raise your hand. All right, if you hope to be a husband someday, raise your hand. All right, lots of hands up. Great, good to see. So, with a mindset on Christ, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. So the word love here is an active love. It's not just feel good about your wife. It's not a love of feeling, but it's loving in action, put to action. And so this love is not soft, it's not permissive, it doesn't just stand by and watch things happen. Again, that's what the culture would tell you, right? But this love is a bold love. It makes hard decisions, and yet it's kind in that. This love is not, uh, this love is considerate of others. This love looks out for the best interest of another, in this context, being your wife. This love guards and protects and leads This love pursues. It pursues after your wife, not turning and walking away from her. And so the temptation we see here for a husband is to be harsh. To be harsh. Do not be harsh with them. The wording here, to be harsh, means to make bitter. Bitter of heart. So the best way for a husband to harden his wife's heart toward him is to be harsh with her. To be short in the way you talk to her and the way you treat her. To have an irritable irritable attitude toward her. That's an active harshness. There's another way that bitterness can be developed, and that's through a passive means. If a husband does not lead his wife well, if he does not lead his family well, if he doesn't take responsibility but leaves all the weight, uh, the burden of responsibility for the family to his wife. It creates bitterness, a harshness. As a husband, you need to think of your wife like a flower, right? If you're harsh with her, she's going to wilt and die, right? But if you treat her tenderly with loving care, pursuing after her, 
right? She's going to flourish and she's going to blossom, right? And so that's what we want to see here. So with a mind set on Christ, husbands love your wives. So husbands, let's give this some personal evaluation for you. How are you doing in this area? <laughs> All right, he's got a good plan. He's planning to do really well in this. That's good. Husbands, in what ways do you need to grow in your active love for your wife? All right, verse 20. Children, you guys ready? Come on up. Here we go. Come on up, kids. Come on up. Find a spot to sit. All right, come on up. Find somewhere to sit, guys. Okay, here we go. Everyone listening. Now, the, the wives did really well listening, and the husbands did really well listening, so you guys can do a good job listening too, right? Okay, so I'm going to start with a question. Can you as kids bring joy to God? Can you bring happiness to him? Well, let's see. The Bible actually gives you children a specific way that you can please the Lord. Do you know what that is? Good. Yeah, to obey your parents. Good job. And so with a mind set on Christ, as you think about things God's way, verse 20 says, children, obey your parents in everything. For this pleases the Lord. This brings happiness and joy to God. So when you obey, uh, to obey means to do what they tell you to do, right? So as mom or dad tell you what to do, you follow through and you obey uh, obey what they have asked you to do. Now, parents, one of the things the culture will tell you you need to do is you need to be child-centered. You need to obey all that your children want and desire. But that's contrary to Scripture, right? But we see that happening in our culture. Okay, kids, so now let's think about obeying your parents to please the Lord. All right, let's think about that. Does it please the Lord when you grumble and complain to your parents? No. No? Does it please the Lord when you whine and fuss at them? No. No? Does it please the Lord when you only do a part of what they tell you to do? No. No? Does it please the Lord if you wait around 10 minutes and keep doing something else before you go do what they ask you to do? No. No. It pleases the Lord when you obey. When you obey right away, that pleases the Lord. It pleases the Lord when you obey completely and you do it all the way through everything they've asked you to do. That pleases the Lord. It pleases the Lord when you obey joyfully with a good attitude. That brings joy to God and pleases Him. So can you obey, the Lord, uh, obey your parents if you don't listen to their voice? You can't. You can't obey them if you don't listen to their voice, right? So listening and obeying go together, right? So the temptation for you as children is to not listen and not obey your parents. You won't hear them if you don't care about what they're saying, right? If you're ignoring what they're saying. But that's not an excuse to not obey. 
You must listen to the voice of your father and listen to the voice of your mother. So here's a note again for you parents. Don't let your kids come away with the excuse that they didn't hear you, right? You must train them to listen when your voice is speaking. Train them to listen to your voice so that they can follow through. Okay, so with a mindset on Christ, children obey your parents. So let's give this some personal application for all of you. How are you doing in obeying your mom and dad? Think about that for you. Are you listening to their voice and following through on what they tell you to do? Is this something that you might need to work on and do a little bit better at? Probably, right? But with the Lord's help, you can do it, and you can honor God and please him in that way. So thanks for coming up. You can go back and have a seat. Okay, so children, with a mindset on Christ, children obey. Uh, the temptation for a child will be to not listen and not obey, not follow through. So that's for children. Okay, next, uh, verse 21, fathers. If you're a father, raise your hand. All right, if you hope to be a father someday, raise your hand. All right, great, so here we go. With a mindset on Christ, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. So we'll start right, right away with the, the temptation. The temptation for a father is to provoke. The word provoke here means to stir up or to arouse anger. All right? So fathers, you are not to stir up anger within your children. Don't carry out an unreasonable exercise of authority. Don't micromanage every little thing that's happening in your child's life. Don't be a father who is impossible to please and who always has criticism all the time. These things will arouse anger within your children. And so here for fathers, we only get a do not statement, right? We don't get a positive statement. We only get the do not, do not provoke in Ephesians chapter 6, there is a, a parallel passage that addresses fathers in this way, do not provoke, and it adds a little bit. Paul there to the Ephesians adds, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So there's the do part of it. But here in Colossians, we only get the do not. And so again, provoking here can either be active or passive. Right? Active provoking is to be overbearing upon your children. But passive provoking is to be absent, to be withdrawn, to lack loving leadership, to lack godly discipline in their lives. And so there must be a good balance here. So fathers, you do need to set reasonable expectations for your children. You do need to provide structure within the home. You do need to give firm and appropriate discipline. You do need to give your children praise and tell them how much they're loved by you and by their Father in heaven. And so do all of these 
good things. Now think as well as your children get older, right? As your children enter the middle school years, and then your children enter the high school years, right? Your method of training and discipline shifts, doesn't it? If you treat your 13-year-old like a 3-year-old, or if you treat your 17-year-old like a 7-year-old, you will be provoking them. You will be stirring up anger within them. And so your method in parenting needs to shift. It needs to adjust. You need to release more and more decisions to them. You must train them to take on more responsibility for themselves in their own lives. And so now what happens when you provoke your children to anger? We see that here. It says they become discouraged. The word discouraged means to, to lose heart. All right, You take the wind out of their sails. They become discouraged in faith and they lose interest in God. They distance themselves from you and from others around them. They move into isolation, away from family, maybe put themselves behind a screen of some kind. They isolate themselves in other activity away from you. So with a mindset on Christ, fathers, do not provoke your children. So fathers, let's give this some personal evaluation. How are you doing in this? What ways do you need to grow in not provoking your children? In what ways do you need to grow in providing a loving leadership within your home? Verse 22, slaves. So, yes, I called it slaves. I know the ESV, ESV translation says bond servants. Your version, if you have a different one, might say something else. It might say servant. But the best translation here is simply slaves. All right. In the Roman Empire at this time, slavery was just an acceptable part of the society. It was an acceptable institution that was in place. It took various forms. There were different forms of slavery. But everyone here would have been very familiar with slavery. It wouldn't have been a far-out thought or a far-out idea. In fact, in the church at Colossae, it was probably it's probable that there were slaves and masters within the church together. That's how common slavery was. So that feels icky to us, right? I, I get that, and yet this is what's happening here. And so we want to see this within context. So Paul here isn't interested in restructuring his society, right? He wasn't interested in restructuring the, the, the Roman society. He's simply dealing with the reality, right? There were slaves, there were masters. Let's deal with it. That's how Paul's approaching this. So again, remember, Paul's ministry was about proclaiming Christ and building spiritual maturity. And so that's what he's doing here as well. And so that's what we want to look at. So if you're a slave here, raise your hand. No? Oh, I see some hands. Okay. Various forms of slavery. So here we go. Let's preach it then. Slaves. Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. So let's stop there. Slaves who want to honor God, slaves who want to grow in spiritual maturity, are to obey their masters who are in authority over them. 
Okay? That's the reality. How, Paul says. Continuing in verse 22. Uh, Obey your earthly masters, not by way of eye service, as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. So with an awareness of God's character, with an awareness of God's presence among you, you're to give good, genuine work. That's what Paul's saying. So the temptation here for slaves, uh, sorry, slaves, uh, mindset on Christ, obey, obey your masters. The temptation then is to slack off, to see what you can get away with, to do the bare minimum. That's the temptation. And so Paul says, don't just work so that you look good before your boss, so that the people who see you think you're doing good work. Don't just do it for that, but be obedient and work hard because God is watching. And he knows your heart. He knows what's going on inside. Then we come to verse 23. Paul continues, Whatever you do, slaves, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You were serving the Lord Christ. And so within this mindset on Christ, the most menial task now has significance because it's being done for the Lord, right? And so cleaning the toilet now has great significance, right? Mopping the floor has great significance. Splitting the wood now has great significance. Mowing the lawn now has great significance. All these things now come, have great significance because it's being done for the Lord, not just for men, not just those who look and see you. This is all done for the Lord. Slaves, you're serving King Jesus, right? Work hard at it for God's glory. And know that if you do, slaves, there is an inheritance that awaits. Your inheritance is an eternal glory with Christ. Nothing could be better. In other words, slaves, your payday is coming, right? Payday is coming. Then verse 25, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. And so Christian slaves and Christian masters are on an equal ground in God's sight. Just because you are in a lowly position here in this world doesn't mean that you have less accountability to God. Right? The standard's the same. doesn't mean that you, it's okay for you to slack off and do poor quality work just because you're in a lowly position. Right? And so there's a, a principle for us to consider here. Christians in any manner of work must see their work as unto Christ himself. So this is your motivation for a good day's work, whether you're getting paid or whether you're unpaid. Right? So if you're working a job, work hard for the Lord. If you're caring for your family, work hard for the Lord. If you're in a volunteer position, work hard for the Lord. If you're a young person in school, work hard for the Lord. With a mindset on Christ, slaves, obey your master and work hard for the Lord. So slaves, those of you who are in some position, some form of work, let's give this some personal evaluation. How are you doing here? 
In what ways do you need to grow in your obedience to those in authority? In what ways do you need to grow in working hard for the Lord? So Paul addresses slaves. Next he addresses masters. Chapter 4, verse 1. And so again, since there were slaves, there were also slave masters. So if you're a slave master, raise your hand. Okay, nobody wants to really admit that. Okay, we're going to continue anyway. Uh, So with a mind set on Christ, masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. And so the temptation here for masters is to be unjust, to treat others poorly. But here we see Christian masters are accountable to God for how they treat their slaves. Masters are to see their slaves rightly, to not look down upon them. They are to treat them equitably and kindly. They are to give them proper care. They are to keep in mind as well that they have a master in heaven that they are accountable to. Masters are accountable to the master in heaven. So here's the principle for us. Christians in any position of authority now must have kind regard for others. Right? So if you're a boss, have kind regard for your employees. If you, if you are a supervisor, if you supervise volunteers, have kind regard for them. All right? and so again, keep in mind, masters and slaves come equally before God. So the mind set on Christ, masters, treat your slaves justly. So masters, those of you in positions of authority of some kind or another, let's give this some personal evaluation. How are you doing in these things? In what ways do you need to grow in treating others fairly and respectfully? So again, as we've mentioned, these things are very difficult. They don't come naturally to us. They're challenging. Wives submit. Husbands love. Children obey. Fathers don't provoke. Slaves obey. Masters treat justly. These are difficult things. They take a lot of hard work. And so in order to follow through on these things, in order to do these things well, we're going to see two things. First, we've talked about you need a mindset on Christ. Right? Have your mind on godly things, God and his word, not on things of the world. Have your mind set on Christ. And then second is you need to pray. You need to pray. Look at verse 2. So as, as soon as Paul gets done with this list of these different relationships and these commands, here's what these things look like. Here's the temptations. Here's what you need to do. The next thing he says is continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And so we begin with a mindset on Christ, and then you are to pray, pray, pray. Because you need help with these things. All right? God, by his spirit, is the one who gives strength. Prayer is essential for our growing and our maturing in these areas. And so how, how does Paul say you are to pray? Steadfastly, persistently, constantly. Don't stop praying. Why? Because you're weak and you need help. (laughs) Praying once isn't enough. Keep praying. Continual prayer. He says you are to be watchful. 
You are to have a spiritual alertness in these things. This isn't just careless praying, oh, God help, and move on. It's, it's purposeful. It's intentional. It's not casual. And it's also prayer with thanksgiving. With an attitude of thankfulness for who Christ is and all that he has done. Thankfulness that you're not on your own in these things, but he has strength for you for the day. So, personal assessment. How are you doing in these things? How are you doing in praying for the spiritual growth and maturity in your own life? So, maturing in our private life, now Paul shifts a little bit to maturing in your public life, in relating to unbelievers. And so we saw in verse 5, he mentions the word outsiders here. This is referring to those outside of the faith, unbelievers. These were people Paul and his companions were interacting with. These were people that the Colossian believers were interacting with. These are people that you will be interacting with as well. It's how do we mature in relating to unbelievers. And again, the first thing we see here is prayer. Prayer. Paul says uh, that in verse 3, okay, at the same time, pray for us. He continues this idea of prayer. And so Paul here starts by making a prayer request, right? He's making a prayer request to the uh, believers uh, here in Colossians. Uh, But he doesn't just leave it general. He doesn't just say, pray for me. But he gives them specifics. So as a point of application, I want to encourage you to do the same thing when you're giving a prayer request, when you're asking a prayer request from somebody else. Be specific, right? We don't maybe do that as much as we should, right? Pray for me today. Okay, well, what do you want me to pray for you today? What do you want to see God do in your life? What do you want to see God do in this situation? How do you want God to grow you as you face this challenge? So pray specifically. Ask for, receive specific things to pray for. Okay, so Paul gives them specifics. Pray for what? What does he ask them to pray for? In verse 3, an open door for the word. So Paul says, pray that God would work in relation to unbelievers that there would be opportunities available to preach the gospel. So as you consider those apart from Christ, pray for opportunities for them to hear the saving power of Jesus in his death and resurrection. So pray for an open door. Pray, Paul says, that I might make it clear as I ought. So again, what is the it? What is it that Paul needs to make clear? He's referring back to the mystery, right? To declare the mystery of Christ. Pray that I make, may make it, that I might make the mystery clear. What is the mystery? The mystery is the gospel of Christ. In other words, pray that the mystery would no longer be a mystery. Pray that it would be made known. Let the gospel be plainly clear to those who do not yet believe. So Paul's asking them to pray here for the advancement of the gospel for open doors, for the clear message that this mystery wouldn't be a mystery any longer. So again, some points of application for us. Who should you be praying these types of things for? First, pastors and elders. Right? You should be regularly praying for Pastor Jeremy as he preaches most Sundays here at Pine Grove. 
right? What do you pray? Pray something like this. God, would you open doors for your word to come into people's lives? Would you grant that Pastor Jeremy would proclaim the mystery of your word clearly that all who hear it would understand? Pray that regularly for us here at Pine Grove. So how are you doing? How are you praying? Are you praying for the preaching of God's word here? How are you doing there? Second thing, pray these things for missionaries. Same thing. Pray that missionaries would have open doors for the proclamation of the gospel. Pray that they would proclaim it clearly, that the mystery would no longer be a mystery to the unreached people that they're trying to reach with the gospel. It should be one of the top things that you're on your prayer list as you pray for missionaries around the world. And thirdly, pray these things for yourself. Pray that God would give you specific open doors, specific opportunities. Pray that even if you're not confident and you fumble over your words, that that message of Christ would still be made clear to those who are hearing. So in our maturing as it relates to unbelievers, first, we need prayer. Second, we need wisdom. Wisdom. Paul says in verse 5, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Okay, how do we do that, Paul? Well, first, by making best use of your time, by making best use of your opportunities. Let others see Christ in you. Now, this doesn't mean we pretend and we put on a big show and we're fake before people. The point here is to evaluate your life and what it's about and how that is reflected to others around you. People see you as a grumpy complainer. Guess what? You're probably a grumpy complainer. Right? If people see you as a God-fearing child of God... Let Christ be reflected in you to those around you. So personal evaluation. How is your life, what is, how are your priorities being reflected to those around you? So make the best use of your time, your opportunities, and also consider your speech. The way you talk should be gracious, seasoned with salt, Paul says. It should be pleasant, and yet it should be penetrating. It should be kind, and yet it should be truthful. The message of the gospel is offensive, but we can communicate it with love. And so in that way, know how you ought to answer everyone. Be ready to share your testimony. So, Sean, why are you the way you are? Because Jesus has made a difference in my life. Can I share with you the hope I have in Christ? Right? Be ready to give that answer. All right, that's public life relating to unbelievers. Lastly, we want to finish as Paul closes his letter here. We're going to look at his ministry partners. So I want to read this through, the 7 through the end. And as I read this, I want you to think about the body of Christ. Think about what the body of Christ is for. Think about how it should function together. We'll make some couple quick observations after we read this. So starting in verse 7 of chapter 4, Paul writes, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, 
They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. And they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a slave of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature, fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. When this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. And so what are, the, what are some of the things we observe here? Uh, in this, uh, in, in Paul and his ministry partners, those working together. A few observations. First, we see the preaching the gospel, right? Paul and others were imprisoned for this very thing, for preaching of the gospel. We see exhortation. Archippus, fulfill your ministry. <laughs> Don't let it go. There's exhortation here. We see fellowship, togetherness, intimacy of relationship. Right? Some calls beloved brother. Some, he says, this person is one of you. There's a connectedness, a togetherness. We see greeting. This person greets you. Greet this person for me. Right? There's hospitality. Welcome Barnabas. Have him in. Right? We see comfort and encouragement. I'm sending Tychicus to encourage you, to uplift you. We see sacrifice and hard work for a common purpose. We see faithfulness, faithfulness in ministry. And we see prayers for one another. Right? Epaphras is struggling in prayer for you. Right. And so as we think about those things, let's give some evaluation to our local body here at Pine Grove. So a lot of these things we're doing very well in many, many ways. It's a joy to see all the good things that are happening. We're doing truly well with these things in, in a great way. I would love to go around the room and just person by person commend many here for the great good work that is taking place. But how can we continue to grow? How can we continue to mature together in these things? And individually, what part do you play? Where could you use some growth in these things in your life as it relates to the body of Christ and praying and caring and preaching and fellowship and sacrifice for a common purpose, faithfulness to each other. So give that some consideration as well. All right, that wraps up Colossians. Uh, next week we'll start into Advent. So let's pray, and then we'll sing our closing song. Pray with me if you would. Father God, again, we ask who is sufficient for these things. We need your help. We need you to work and stir within us that we would grow and mature in these things. And so, Father, as we leave this place, would we consider 
individually where we're at. And we ask for your Holy Spirit to grow us and mature us in these things, that we would live lives more honoring to you. Help us, Father, to keep our minds set on Christ, to keep our minds set on your word and things of God, that we would not have our minds set on the things of the world, but that we'd be constantly looking to Christ, seeking him, and knowing you. For we know that our position is with Christ at your side. So God, would you continue to work these things in our lives for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So the charge this morning is this. Take your Bible, take Colossians, take your notes, and spend some time doing some good self-evaluations in the areas that we address today. See where the Lord would want you to grow and mature in those things. And so now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Have a great week. Uh, Have a happy Thanksgiving. We have so much to be thankful for. So God bless you this week.